And welcome back for another episode of Ladies First. I am Corey. I am back this episode. I was gone for our last episode when there was a bit of a fandom kerfuffle. I was on vacation, so Elizabeth kind of held the fort down for me and brought Gretchen in. This episode, however, Elizabeth is a little under the weather, so I've brought in Lisa, and we're going to talk about the L word again. All right. <laughs> um, Lisa has heard me rant about the L word uh, ad nauseum. Yep. And I am super, super, super salty about this show. Uh, I was not happy when they said they were going to be doing a reboot about it. And when I say I'm salty, I mean I am saltier towards this show than Kylie and Julia are at Game of Thrones. So, I hate it. Um, But we're going to break down why there are so many problematic elements to it. I understand, you know, this is a fave for a lot of people. For me, it's just a problematic dumpster fire. Um, (laughs) I mean, we're being honest here. I hate this show. But I understand some people like this. That's why we brought Lisa here. Um, She's going to kind of help me unpack this. She also had a really good article she wrote about this um, on our Fundamentals home site, Why an L Word Reboot is the Last Thing We Need Right Now. And I'm going to go ahead and link that uh, at the bottom of this podcast article in case you missed it because it's also a really fantastic breakdown on that entire mess. Oh, why thank you. So, again, to reestablish, The L Word originally ran on Showtime from 2004 to 2009. And it is one of the most iconic pieces of queer lady media we have. I mean, at the time when it came out, it was revolutionary to have a show that was, you know, just for queer women. And as iconic as it is it's also one of the worst pieces of media i think we've had and it has not aged well no so uh what lisa why don't we start going down the list for cultural influences that (laughs) oh boy queer women that l word has had a hand in i'm not gonna go so far to say it's directly responsible for it oh some of them it is well some of them maybe but i think it definitely had a hand in a lot of not-so-savory elements. So um, I'm going to kick this off with one of my big ones, and that is biphobia. Um, I know some of you may be asking, but Corey, Alice was bisexual in the series. and Yeah, she was. And you know how many times characters told her to pick a side? Yeah, or like implied that she was not bisexual. Or, I mean, here's the thing. As a bisexual... I was in the closet about my bisexuality for so freaking long strictly because of this show and where I lived when I lived I grew up in a rural area so when I got to go to the city where the other you know lesbians were because nobody wanted to be out as bi at the time you you could only see lesbians and they would constantly be quoting this show or saying little snippets of this show or stuff I knew they picked up from the show about bisexuals. So my little ass, my little baby queer ass, just stayed in the fucking closet until I was about 25. So So sorry, Corey, to clarify that, just 
curious. Um, so were you out, um, out in the community as like a queer woman and you said you were a lesbian in that case or when you were in the city? Yes. Okay. Okay. Because at the, I honestly did not feel comfortable because a lot of it, I, I heard, um, switch hitter. I heard pick a side. <laughs> I heard, oh, they'll cheat on you with anyone. I heard from a woman I was dating at the time, I don't think I could ever trust a bisexual woman not to cheat on me. Isn't she the one who then cheated on you? Yes. Ironically, she <laughs> cheated on me. So it, it, I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, a lot of this is stuff we heard them saying on the L word. I know it was, it was direct quotes. I heard them say the gory bisexual details. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, I think you mentioned in your article, um, when Jenny was writing about Elise in. Lady oh yeah. Girls, yeah. That, um, she described Alice's thinly veiled character as, um, Oh, what was it? Oh, she uh, she clung to the bisexual label not out of any real affection for men. She clung to it out of pure fashion desperation. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. But it's not a fashionable identity. I'm not. Yeah, not, definitely not. Not back then. Women don't say, "Oh, I'm going to be bisexual to be cool." Yes, that's great. I want to get shit on by the straight community and my own community and the gay community. Well. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. exactly what I want to do. Come on. I mean, and also, I mean, it wasn't just Alice. We had the Inquisition of Tina. And yeah. seriously, everybody in that scenario is the freaking worst for that. Except for Poppy. Poppy was okay. Oh, Poppy, Poppy was the one who, like, called them out on it and said, hey. This uh... is true, but Poppy as a character is is problematic on so many different elements. Um, sure. But yes. Yeah. Um, you also detailed that in your article. Um, they were really being exclusionary and it it, it oh, yeah. ties into our next point because if i don't move on i'm gonna be ranting about the biphobia on this show i think <laughs> i made a fairly good case on how this impacted the community yeah um, yeah i think so and it's still a problem yeah and this absolutely. ties in with the next point we're gonna spend a little bit of time on this as the gold star phenomenon and lesbian purity Okay, I did so, not know what Gold Star and Silver Star were until I saw the L word. I'd never heard the term either, no. And for those of you who have blessedly lived under a rock and have somehow managed <laughs> to escape any of this, a Gold Star lesbian is this some is somehow this badge of honor of I've never slept with a man. I always knew I was gay. Well, good for you. Not That's everybody the perfect is like voice that. for it too. <laughs> Sorry. Not everybody is like that. Not everybody comes out of the womb with the freaking rainbow flag saying, I love women. There are women that come out later in life. There are people for whom sexuality is fluid. There are people for whom it is not safe to be out. Yep. I mean, this whole gold star phenomenon for me is very bothersome because we still have a huge issue with purity. And I say this as a bisexual woman because I'm seeing a lot of new baby gays, like baby lesbians, coming to bisexual women and explicitly saying, I don't feel welcome 
in lesbian circles because I'm afraid they're going to judge me. And, yeah, that is exactly who I am, so. And <laughs> Except I'll, not that much a baby, but. Right, and I'll, I mean, when you ask, you know, well, what are you afraid of? It's, well, they have these standards, and they relate back to this kind of purity standard that really got kicked off in the L word with this whole gold star phenomenon. And I really, really want to say, you can be proud of this all you want. I think it's bullshit. And I know, I know this is going to make a lot of lesbians angry, especially all the bisexual woman's telling me my identities. I'm not saying your identity is bullshit. I'm saying this gold star phenomenon is exclusionary and it's harmful, and I don't think it's necessarily a badge of pride. Now, Lisa, you don't identify as a bisexual, and you nope. I mean, feel free. If I am out of line, feel free to slap me down like the hand of God. No, you know what? You're not out of line. You're just, um, yeah, This you're basically saying uh, how I feel about it, too. So, like, yeah, there's a reason why I now, like, in my profile, uh, I refer to myself as gay-ish. Because, like, that's the best way I can uh, easily describe it. It's probably better to say I'm, like, um, bisexual, homoromantic, but also, a, you know, a demisexual. It's, it's confusing, but basically, like, I do find um, men and women attractive, but I don't fall in love with men. Um, but the thing is, I remember, like, when I was coming out, I would make odd comments about, oh, you know, I think this guy is really hot, and I would get these terrible looks like what do you mean it's like well you know i i can appreciate with my own eyes that this person is attractive and i mean geez like even if you know you're a straight person and you see someone of your own sex who you think is attractive people do that all the time so it seems like it's almost like an overcorrection for it does that make sense yeah. Like they're being like overly crazy about it. My issue with this is because it so easily slides into exclusionary practice. Oh yeah, identity policing, which um, is already like quite a big problem and it's just it goes nuts know, in the queer community, so. Sexuality is fluid. Some people <laughs> arrive to whatever their identity is later in life. Some people do come out of the womb knowing. Um for some people, it shifts. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm not going to tell somebody just because they're not a six on the Kinsey scale. <laughs> you know, they could be a five on the Kinsey scale. I'm not going to tell them, oh, you can't have this identity. You know, that is not for me to judge. That's not for yeah. me to decide. As long as you're not saying, oh, I'm a lesbian and you walk around and you actively harm people uh-huh. and spout off harmful anti-gay rhetoric, it's not my place to judge. And it's nobody's place to judge. I mean, I'm sorry. If you want to tell me you are a polyamorous lesbian in a relationship with a woman and a man who is your only exception, you know what? You do you. Yeah. You do you. Sometimes there are exceptions. It's not my place to judge. Mm -hmm. It is my place to make sure that you feel like you have a safe space somewhere in our community because I know you sure as shit aren't going to have one in the straight world. Yeah, yeah. It, um, for people who do fall between these identities, I mentioned this in the article too. It's um, it can be uh, quite difficult because yeah, there are like a lack of safe spaces where you know women who identify as lesbian or primarily lesbian, you know, where we feel comfortable because mm-hmm. you know, like we don't really necessarily feel comfortable in lesbian circles, but we don't identify with the term bisexual either. So, mm-hmm. um, so one thing I did mention. Uh, in the article that I think is important to, like, touch on here is uh, the fact that this, you know, this comes from 
you know, it's a reaction to lived experiences. So it's it the is. whole thing where, yeah, it's where, like, guys especially, they have this thing about, oh, you know, you just need to meet the right man. And so, you know, if there is somebody who refers to themselves as a lesbian and then is involved with a man, it appears to back up that ridiculous, you know, point of view. And so people, you know, some people in the lesbian community like to, you know, push people like that away because it's like, oh, well, they don't represent us. They're not one of us because we would never, you know. And uh, the issue is, and I'm not saying there is not a lived experience component or that, you know, I mean, I know even as a bisexual woman, I get the, oh, you're not really gay. You just need a good man. So I can only imagine what it's like for a lesbian. And I'm not saying that this doesn't happen, and I'm not saying we should brush it off, but I am saying that we can't let what the rest of the world does to us mm-hmm. trickle down to other members of our community. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, we get enough shit from the rest of the world. We don't need to be perpetuating that and internalizing that and punishing other people in our community. You know, that that's yeah. the last thing we need to do. So, uh we're going to move on. <laughs> Probably a good idea. <laughs> um to another hot topic called bury your gaze and the suffering bisexual. Oh god. What, you thought we were going to calm down? No. <laughs> so, um so I feel like maybe I should mention here. So uh, I have a good friend who, you know, read the article and she said to me, you know, I'm not really sure that Dana fits into Bury Your Gaze because she, you know, she was on a show with a bunch of other, you know, gay women and she was not targeted because she was gay. So I feel like maybe we need to, like, make a distinction here between, like, the Bury Your Gaze trope, like, as it traditionally happens and the, like, cultural concept of Bury Your Gaze in the sense of, like – overarching there's a lot of dead lesbians do you know what i mean there yeah i know what you mean at the same time it's eileen shaken and um (laughs) this is very bizarre to me because she somehow got a pass last year on empire in the spring slaughter um well what do you mean by that where people didn't count it well my issue with the spring slaughter is we really focused in on lexa yeah, and there were other women who died that we kind of paid attention to, but on Empire, we lost two queer women. Were they queer women of color, perchance? Yes, they were. Oh, and this was an that. Eileen Shaken executive produced show. <laughs> Big so, surprise! While I understand what you're saying, just recently she did it again. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, like when I when I wrote about it, I was just talking about how you know. Um, it contributed to like the overall cultural phenomenon. I was not saying that like mm-hmm. she killed, she was killed off because she was gay, which is like how the trope started with the whole, I uh, sorry, I don't remember the name of the law, but like the thing where they weren't allowed to show homosexual people happy on television. And so we always died. That didn't have anything to do with it, but she, she died. I mean, that's how it cancer. started. So, and I mean, yeah. and I understand the actress had wanted off the show because she wanted to pursue some other opportunities. Really? Because I heard that she did not want to leave the show and that she was upset when she was told this. So, see, this is the other know. issue about the L word. Is back then the news that came out on why people were leaving were very, very conflicting. Um, just yeah. because I had always read that she wanted off the show. Um, Regardless, the way they dragged it out, 
uh, oh, yeah. the way they handled it and tried to make it this kind of weird PSA. It was about as effective as a PSA as that one little arc on Glee where Quinn was texting and driving and got T-boned. I mean, that's about as effective as it was for me. Yeah, and it's like you can bring awareness to breast cancer without killing the person, especially because breast cancer, you know, typically is quite high survivability rates. It is, and I'm not saying, like, women, seriously, like, not even women, anybody who has boobs, (laughs) check, like, often, frequently, once a month, like, anybody with boobs, check yourself. But the way this was handled, the way... Like, if if you didn't want Dana on here anymore, she's a pro tennis player. You could have easily written her off by sending her across the country. Yeah. Um, what they did to Alice <laughs> during Dana's death, like, her breakdown. And, yeah, before. <laughs> before and after. Uh. I mean, that reminds me a lot more of season three of the 100 when we had clark who was left after lexa to pick up the pieces it's that trope of you know the suffering bisexual except you uh, know what they hardly spent any time focusing on clark's pain meanwhile like alice's had, like, like half an episode and then on the l word i mean alice just had a full-blown we are gonna make this as painful for her as possible and show it in this very prurient kind of exploitative almost light like see this is what happens it almost felt like a punishment yeah which is the you know like i was saying how the barrier gays thing started being punished for being gay so or in this case bisexual but and then you know we also have tina when she was dating a man i mean (laughs) that was so painful to watch and it really did not make me any more comfortable about the idea of you know opening up about the fact that i find men attractive it was like whoa nelly <laughs> no thank you the the shunning yeah that was, was awful very painful um and honestly it's true to life i it it happens oh yeah or at totally. least it happened maybe hopefully it doesn't happen as frequently now but i mean i see the dark corners of, of the internet know, of the internet and i still see a lot of the the uh you know forgive me for being blunt but i still see a lot of the term of by slut being thrown around so you know we got to get better about that but it doesn't help when shows that are exclusively queer do things like this do things like this and narratively never distinguish that, hey, this isn't okay, but instead yeah. seem to narratively support it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they were, like, really the only, like, media for queer women at that point because we really didn't have any other shows at that point with uh, queer women on them. So this is basically, like, we, the example we, we were being set. Too, but there was nothing that was just exclusively queer. Yeah, and, like, in terms of other characters, there were some, but not a lot. A lot less than there are now. Yeah. Like, it's not like we had, had that same variety back then. Everybody watched The L Word. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody. Word, and a lot of us were young, and unfortunately, yep. you know, it just... When it's narrati- narratively presented that way, and it's never called out as, this is problematic... Well, you start to think that it's okay, and I think that might actually, yeah, 
I think that that might segue okay into the next yeah, point. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of <laughs> internalizing, um, here's another thing I have some major issues with on the L word, and that's dubious consent, a.k.a. Dubcon. Yeah. Um, so let's just get the major point out of the way first. Uh, Tina and Bet. that scene at the end of season one. Okay, so I... I watched this trigger again. Warnings. Like I'm going to say really quick. We're going okay, to sorry. Go this. ahead. So trigger warnings for anybody who is going to be uncomfortable about this. We are going to describe the scene. So yes. <laughs> so okay. So, uh, yeah. So I watched this again, like in prep for writing the article, or just to like. Basically, I wanted to go back and watch it again to make sure that I wasn't like misrepresenting it, to make sure that like I wasn't remembering it as worse than it was. And I watched it, and I was like, oh my god, this is so much worse than I remember it. And like, I don't know if that's because like I just became desensitized to it, or because now we are so much more like aware of consent and all of the sort of um, intricacies, uh, intricacies of it. But yeah, like. I did not remember that that ripped Tina's dress off and tackled her onto the bed and like tried to reach down to touch her while before Tina while Tina was crying. still struggling and screaming. Yeah, she's holy shit! Every single indication she doesn't want this. She is crying. She is upset. I mean, I am being very charitable when I describe calling it Dubcon. Yeah. I mean, it is a very disturbing scene, and I think if it would have aired 2016, 2017, there would Shut have been down. a much, much different reaction yeah. from our community um, watching that and just being like, holy shit, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, At God. the time it aired, though, I remember seeing a lot of, oh my God, that was so hot. Yep, me too. And the show never afterward indicated, like, yes, Tina and Bette broke up, but they never went back to that scene. It was just supposed to, I remember it being described as it's heartbreaking and goodbye and this visceral, cathartic, everything's out in the open now sex. I was like, no, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think perhaps part of the reason people think that is because Tina did eventually, like, get into it. But now we know. It's like, when we say this, it's like, you can say no at the beginning or at the end or in the middle. It still means no. The fact that she decided to get into this and take out her anger on Bet sexually, you know, biting her and fucking her hard does not mean that, you know, this was an okay thing for her to do because she did not want into this, mm -hmm. at least at first. So... Um, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that like that makes it, you know, okay. But I'm saying I think that's probably part of why people thought of it that way because it turned into something a little more mutual by the end. But well, and I'm also going to say this show is a product of its time, and in 2004, yep. the discourse around consent was radically different than it is say now, or even just what discourse around today. consent? <laughs> I don't remember any discourse around consent. Well, I mean, especially in our community. I mean, you know, we have also evolved with the times. And I, I, you know, when I was younger, that thing, you know, it made me very uncomfortable. But I also remember, like, the, we weren't having these discussions. A lot of us no. were young and in our heads, it's like you couldn't, you know, rape your partner. That, just, that was something that men and yeah. women did. Yeah. So it was, you know, for for the time... And I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying I can at least nominally understand 
why that got kind of internalized because there's a yep. lot of tropes. It for a while it did become a popular trope to write about with sex, like the angry yep. sex and the <laughs> devcon. You get into it later, sex. Um, I can see why that happened, just because. What we know now versus what we knew then is radically different. And I would like to think, you know, and I even said just a few minutes ago, if this scene aired now, I think there would be a massive outcry of like... Absolutely. This They'd is be not killed okay. on Twitter. No means no. This is not okay. Yeah. You know, I... I think our community now would immediately twig onto the fact like, oh my god, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to, there's other examples that aren't quite so overt. Um, Marina and Jenny. When she comes into the bathroom and just paws at her without even asking. Yeah. That kind of predatory lesbian trope. And this, honestly, um, we're going to have some intersectionality issues with this. Um, the actress, Karina Lombard, she, her mother is Lakota. She, Karina is a native woman. And I, I am white passing, but I am also proudly native, um, you know, Cherokee and Comanche. And for me at the time, because a big deal was made how she was the first Native American queer woman or queer, uh, queer character. And I was really, really excited to see that part of my identity kind of intersecting and being represented. And then she kind of fell into the predatory lesbian trope. And I'm going to say this, and I understand a lot of people might not understand why. This was very, very problematic for a depiction of a Native American woman, regardless of sexuality. Because there are, historically, we have been depicted as like the sexy squaw or Pocahontas or this exotic you know, temptress type of desirable. And unfortunately, those stereotypes have some major real-world consequences. Um, you know, one in three Native American women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And I need you to understand, that's one in three. So, I understand a lot of people may not understand the bigger intersectional picture, but Marina especially, and especially because she was touted, like this was so groundbreaking, this is a Native American actress, for me, it was very, very harmful. Just because of how many layers of intersectional problematic went into that. Yeah. And also, I mean, completely, if we sidestep the fact that we had some, you know, racial and sexual intertwining issues just coming on to women who are in relationships like don't oh but do if that. she's with a man it's okay right yeah that's totally well, fine don't do that, period. <laughs> unless like they blatantly welcome you into it like they're a polyamorous couple and they're like oh hey we're both interested in you or she's interested in you i'm totally fine with that don't do that. Oh, but what if she turns out to be queer after all? I don't care. <laughs> don't do it. That's not, that's none of your business. 
Okay, everybody, just clarifying, I, I am being sarcastic. I'm yeah, sure Corey knows this, but... <laughs> I know this, but I'm saying if you would have an issue with somebody stepping up to your partner and hitting on them, knowing they were in a relationship with you, then that is not okay for any kind of fictional scenario for that to happen. Yeah, and I think that, like, people excuse that also... Um it almost reproduces a sort of misogynistic norm where like guys are like, Oh, you know what? I don't mind if like a girl hits on my uh, lady partner, you know, or if uh, I wouldn't mind if she went and slept with a woman, that's hot. And I think it's almost like this internalization of that and turning it around and be like, Oh, well it doesn't really count, which is seriously like also very problematic. It's like, do you not think that it counts because you are a woman or, do you just think it's okay because she's with a man and men's feelings don't matter or their heterosexual relationships don't matter? That's just seriously, you know, really messed up. So, But again, guess what was treated as it's narratively okay? Oh, very much narratively okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. I think, what was it, <laughs> Tina and Bet commented on it. But everybody else just kind of like, whoop, under the rug. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, and, and Bet that was the one who was really against it, and Bet ended up cheating on Tina anyway. So that almost like, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, that almost erased it. Marina really pursued her. Oh, she did. I mean, she was following her through the house. She kept pursuing her after that night. I mean, she was yeah. relentless. Like it, it was that kind of really creepy. I'm wearing you down vibe. Yeah, and I mean, like Jenny did find her attractive too but it's like just because that doesn't mean that it's okay to try to wear somebody down because they might have other reasons for not wanting to get with you like you know they have a boyfriend or you know no means no doesn't mean yeah, no keep means trying no. <laughs> until I say yes it just means no means no back off did Jenny ever explicitly say no I don't even remember I remember like bodily cues for me, we're clearly saying, I don't really want to do this, or I shouldn't do this, or I'm not comfortable with this. Um, it, it wasn't on the level of, like, Tina and Bet, but yeah, it was still enough to make me kind of like, why are you doing this? Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, this show loves its dubious consent. And it's not even the first, that wasn't the only time it happened. I mean, throughout the series, we had certain characters pursuing other people who are in relationships. Who are you talking about? I don't remember. <laughs> well, we're getting ready to talk about her. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, one certain person. I Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> the Shane effect. Oh, God. I'm going to let you lead on this one. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I know you have a lot of feelings about this. Yeah. Like, oh, just as somebody who, like, I am a few years younger than you, um, so I was, like, in my late teens when this show was first on, and it was, like, it influenced lesbian dating culture so much. Like, I was just starting to become, you know, maybe comfortable enough to get out there, and suddenly everybody was um, just basically behaving like a bunch of dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the whole, um, oh, you know, well, I don't really want relationships. And I feel like a lot of people were acting that way, not because they actually felt that way, but because that was how Shane felt. And everybody thought Shane was so hot, Shane got all the girls. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was probably just a way they were trying to, like, 
uh, you know, get people in. Um, well, see, sorry. when that came out, yeah. um, I was halfway through college, and I was finally in a space where it was a little bit safer for me to peek out and start trying to date. Yeah. And I, like, ran, I remember I was running into, like, I'd go to the city, and it would just be, like, this wall of Shane's. <laughs> that's absolutely a great way to describe it, yeah. And I was just kind of like, you know, that's not what I wanted, <laughs> but um, Shane was very popular, and, you know. Yeah, and the thing is, you if you acted like you wanted you know, too much from people, then that, like, came off as, like, a turnoff suddenly, which is funny, because there was also, like, the whole U-Haul phenomenon, which is, like, the opposite. I know, it was so. really weird, you can't win. Um, yeah, you have to be withholding, but still affectionate, or, like, I don't even know, I never figured out the balance, which is why I've, like, never had a normal relationship with another woman, so. Uh, yeah, it's either you have to be emotionally distant and... Or like, you complete me, you are my everything. Let's get a cat. Yeah, by the way, I've moved all my stuff in. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't just that. I mean, it was this, this very casual attitude uh, that I remember was like towards drugs and addiction that they kind of paid lip service to, but... It always kind of got swept under the rug because they were so committed towards portraying Shane as this kind of tragic James Dean character. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't really remember um, there being issues with, like, drugs necessarily. There was definitely some alcoholism going on, but I also I mean. wonder how, yeah, I also wonder how much of that had to do with, like, um, just people coming from, like, unsavory situations. I think that probably that, you know, probably already some of us had some drinking problems, like just from talking to other people, I definitely got that impression, but then the L mm -hmm. word made it okay. The L word. Like it made it out to be something that was cool, not like something that maybe you should work on. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there was just also this kind of adopting certain elements of toxic masculinity for our own toxic means. You and I had a conversation oh, yeah. about this. So this isn't just Shane. This is Bet as well. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was this kind of, oh, how did we phrase this? It was I just, don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, there are certain elements of like this stoic, unattached, alpha. Yeah toxic masculinity that Shane and Bet kind of internalized or adopted. You know, like I am emotionally withholding. It's your job to, you know, it's the woman's job. And you see this in like a lot of patriarchal stories. It's the woman's job to soften the man. It's the woman's job to, you know, make the man better. Yeah. Which and, is funny, because Jenny went and addressed that same thing in season two about, you know, it's not a woman's man to make, it's not a woman's job to make some fucking man evolve, but yet they had, had this happen to characters that were almost, like, coded as traditionally male, you know? Right. Like, well, like yeah. I said, it was, Shane at times is very much, I'm like, am I watching Shane, or am I watching their interpretation of James Dean? Yeah. Um... And, you know, you see that with Tina and Bet. How You, you mentioned this in your article with T, uh, Bet dumping all of her emotional processing needs on Tina. And then not reciprocating. Yes. 
Yeah. Because, you know, Tina is not as alpha or type A as Bet is, so therefore she's the woman and has to... <laughs> whatever. Well, yeah, and also, like, Bet just bullying everyone in her path, which, like I said, she did that to her assistant a lot, but See, also to just other people professionally. Next... That ties into our next point, though. Okay, before we go there, I have something else I wanted to mention about okay. that, though, with the toxic masculinity. So, um... You know what? I forgot it. Well, <laughs> I should have written it down. Well, yeah, okay. I will I will mention it if I remember. Okay. Um yeah. our next point though is classism in the California bubble. Yeah. And you know, the assumption is somehow that the quintessential queer experience centers around affluent white people living in West Hollywood. Um, at least in the L word, and if not in West Hollywood, then it's, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. Um, and it's this assumption that California queer culture has really any relevance whatsoever to anyone who doesn't live in this region. I mean, hello, I grew up in rural Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it... Really, really, it almost felt like at times it wanted to be a queer sex in the city. Yeah, no, that uh, seems quite accurate. I mean, there was actually that promo campaign, and it said same sex, different city. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. Um, but again, there were a lot of classism issues with this show. One was. Oh best. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to go into this more into the article, but I had to like stop somewhere. But mm -hmm. like as someone who grew up quite poor is still, you know, definitely very much lower class. This, uh, the show really irked me on a lot of levels, especially Beth's behavior. Cause like she bullied everyone to be fair, but especially people who she like considered to be beneath her. Mm -hmm. So, and I remember like, uh, Jeez, uh, one of those times when she was like sort of bullying her assistant, it was because he was trying to find Tina a place to live. Um, and so first, you know, he said something about, oh, it's like some, it's for people who like uh, are in movies. And that uh, was like, what? You think I can afford movie star prices? Blah, blah, blah. And then he said, oh, no, it's crew people. And then he explained where it was. And she like, she basically freaked out because he uh, was talking about an area which is like not all that nice. As if, like, oh, how could Tina possibly stoop to, like, living with the pores? That was right. how that very much came off to me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so awful. Like, uh Yeah. Well, and it also, it kind of lived in this little pretend bubble where all of these women magically have money. Like, what does Shane oh, do Shane. to have all this money? What does Shane uh, do to have all this money? So Shane does not have money. That's why Shane at the beginning of the show was like sharing a one bedroom apartment with like four or five other women. I know, but the only the first season that just went out the window. Yeah, they afforded it by having that creepy roommate who videotaped them. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, no, I know. Like it, it's ridiculous. It's not at all relatable. You know, I mean, somebody. I'm, I'm gonna say, <laughs> how are you going to scrounge that together? A lot of queer women do not have that money. A lot of yeah, women, not at all. period. A lot of people in the country, period, do not have that money. <coughs> this was the one show that was supposed to be about us, and it is so specific to one socioeconomic class and this yeah. one region that it, it doesn't really apply to us at all. 
Yeah. Um, there were definitely some aspects of it that I found relatable because, like, I did grow up um, in, you know, a more liberal city on the West Coast. But, uh, you know, when I, went, you, when I went to Alberta, that was a very different story. I'm so. going to tell you, growing up in the Bible Belt, like, the extreme yeah. Bible Belt, I could no more relate to, like, the L Word ladies and their life than I could relate to probably somebody who lives on Mars. Yeah. Because it is just, none of that was applicable to me, except for I'm attracted to women. Yeah, for me, the mostly, like, applicable thing was the drama. That was what, you know, was most relatable. Um, So, yeah, like, uh, it seems like this happens no matter what the size of the city. Here's the great thing about living out in small towns and only dipping your toe into the city when you needed to. Nobody knows. I bypass so much of that. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it's if you're going to make a show that's about and for queer women, I think you have a responsibility to at least try to be more inclusive than just this itty 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 bitty tiny slice. And I'm trying yes, to actually be a representative. You know, later on in the series, they did try to be a little bit better with that. With um, oh, Rose, Alice's Rose. girlfriend. Or am I thinking about the actress? Oh, the one played by Rose Rollins. Yeah, Tasha. Yeah, Tasha. Sorry, the, yeah, I was the one in the military. Actress. Yeah, yeah, and they addressed that a little bit, but f- most of the show is just classism run rampant, and it's just like rich white people problems, or you know, Bet's rich people problems. Um, <laughs> Bet's. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, so I, I remembered what I was going to mention about the toxic masculinity. Okay. Do we have time to quickly touch on that? Yes. So um, I think, yeah, I think that part of why uh, they did that was, you know, there's the whole like, oh, it's a, uh, it's addressing the double standard. I think, I think it was probably supposed to address the double standard oh, of like, oh yeah, men can act this way, but women cannot. And so it was probably trying to like show, oh yes, women can act this way. What are you going to say? Are you going to throw like gendered slurs at us because of it? And it's like, you know what? No, it's, it's not... That it's wrong you because you're do something a, doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and it's not saying that like because it's not saying that it is not okay because you're a woman. My issue is that it's not okay at all. So it, with, with like both Bet and Shane's behavior, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was that's basically all I had to say about that. But I just thought it was worth mentioning that that's probably where some of it came from. Yeah, but again, you know, just because you can make this point doesn't necessarily mean it's a good point to be making. Yeah, and you know, I feel like the L word actually did, um, they did a lot of that where they like tried to branch out into different kinds of storylines. Like how we were saying like with Tasha, not only did they sort of with her branch out into, oh, you know, she's not as rich. It was like they were addressing the, um, you know, she was, you know, don't ask, she was in the military. She was, they were. Very far removed from the rest of these women's lives. Yeah. That was them almost taking on, like, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And then, like, in that season six storyline with, like, uh, Katie Stewart and, well, the Eric character played by Katie Stewart and um, Jamie Chen. You know, that was was also looking at, like, the whole, like, um, how homophobia is still going on, how there's still homophobic violence. There was, like, a rash of it around that time. And, of course, like, Max's storyline where they decided to make him pregnant because that had recently happened in the news to another trans man who like got pregnant on purpose like of trans issues they were just like trying to stuff in too many things (laughs) 
and doing uh, it poorly, like speaking, Max. Speaking of how they handle trans issues, though, uh, while yeah. we talk about the transphobia on the show. <laughs> oh, man. Um, there are things about Max that kind of ring true now, but that that entire storyline for Max is so not good. And honestly, I think it's aged worse than almost anything else in the show outside of maybe Tina and Bet and that scene. Yeah, the dubcon. I think the dubcon is aged a bit worse, but this is still extremely awkward. Um, um, like you said, <laughs> they decided Max needed to get pregnant. Um, for the drama? For the drama. How the characters treated Max. How Max was acting. I mean, it was yeah. just this ball of do not want, why are you doing this? Um, you're kind of making a mockery of the transition process. I mean, they tried to address, yes, getting hormones are expensive. And Max was another character that, you know, wasn't the super rich white affluent. But my other thing is, like, these women are all rich, white, affluent, or very well-to-do, and they couldn't help one of their closest friends with hormone treatments? Oh, apparently not, no. What? I mean, they're expensive, but they're not so expensive that some of their rich friends could not help them. Yeah. And then, um, I can't remember who the character was that said, you know, we, or, you know, queer women, we lose our masculine or our butch women to being trans and I'm like the oh like okay so their identity just isn't relevant at all what Here, yeah I think it, I mean I'm not saying there's not some kind of validity that we're seeing like a drop I'm, I'm trying to say uh, we didn't know back then what we what we knew now with discourse on say genderqueer persons, non-binary persons, um, the discourse and education about, um, you know, trans men and trans women, you know, it just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. But that does not mean that these identities or their identities or anybody, you know, who does identify that way isn't relevant You know, I'm not less relevant because I'm a bisexual. They're not less relevant because they're non-binary. What does that have to do about losing anybody in the queer community? You know, uh, ironically, I'm pretty sure it was Kit who said that, and Kit Kit wasn't even queer. So, Uh, yeah. Why are you talking about this? Why, Kit? Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like she was, like, trying to make Max understand or something, but, like, Max understands his situation better than anyone else. Yeah, Max is living his situation. I kind of think he knows what's going on. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's dealt with some transphobic bullshit from the rest of that group, too. We just didn't see all of it. Yeah. Oh, and hey, don't forget about, um, since you're talking about non-binary issues, don't forget about Lisa the lesbian man. Okay, and I'm going to be honest. Uh, Up until Elizabeth pointed this out... um, A part of this is just I hate this show and I've tried to block it out of my memory so hard that I completely forgot about Lisa. But, you know, Elizabeth brought it up. It's like, yeah, because non-binary people don't exist. And I hadn't thought about that. No, I I hadn't thought of him as non-binary either. 
Is it him, them, whatever. I think I think he used uh, he pronouns. He referred to himself as a he, so we can okay. call him. But the possibility yeah. of Lisa being non-binary didn't even occur to me. And part of it is, again, I've just tried to repress this show as much as possible. <laughs> and again, at the time, it, the show was a sign of the times. We did not have this discourse about genderqueer and non-binary persons and identities. It was basically just a big joke, like that yeah. whole storyline. I don't even really understand I, why they included it or why it was I supposed would to be like funny. To but think now we could have had a more nuanced portrayal of somebody who was genderqueer and non-binary. Yeah, totally. But that's not what we got at the time. No. So, part of me, I don't want to give it a pass because it's still not okay, but I do very much understand that that is very much a sign of the times of yeah when it was from because our discourse at that time was just so severely lacking. Yeah. But, again, though, our discourse now has come a very long way even since 2009 when this show ended yeah and uh, you know that's why we're talking about it now because there were a lot of issues um you know we talked about some here lisa detailed a lot of them in her article there were a lot of issues with the show and they need to be unpacked i think unfortunately i know even when i was watching this and i felt very personally attacked there was stuff I internalized, and I was critical of the show. And it's stuff I didn't realize I internalized until I was in my late 20s. Yeah, totally. I understand that as well. Because especially when you're in that baby queer stage, you just soak that up like a sponge. We didn't have Tumblr. We didn't have... Uh, we kind of had yeah. Google. It wasn't like what it is now where you could just go search up anything. We didn't even know what genderqueer... We didn't even know the words for genderqueer. Yeah. So and here's you know, this I, one show that is supposed to be exclusively for us, and this is what mm-hmm. it's putting out into the void. Yeah. Yeah, like like I said, it was, felt like quite a bit of like irresponsible storytelling, like trying to tell our stories but doing it in a harmful way. Um, but like I think that's especially true for those of us who you know, grew up in situations where it was not okay to be gay because this is like the first um, like media that we've seen that really feels like um, um, affirming. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't get that getting that affirmation elsewhere, especially if we were like you know not necessarily comfortable in our own queer community or we were not in the queer community because we were in the closet, like this is what this is what we're hearing from these people. And it's like, That's wow. all we get to hear. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That is all we're hearing. That is not really a positive thing to be soaking up if that is all you know. And especially if you are so desperate to, like, find something that gives you validation like the L word, you're just going to soak it up like a sponge. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what happened to me. Like, I'm not... I'm not blaming the L word for the issues that I have had. Like we all have a certain amount of personal responsibility, but just yeah. looking back, I'm like, wow, like this was not a healthy message to be putting out into the world. Cause there were so many young people who just internalized these messages and it caused so many problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's overall, that's, that's the problem that I have with it more than anything else. It's not just that the show was, you know, terribly written or like in general, uh, had so many terrible people as characters it's it's not because i hate it it's because i'm like wow like this that's just such a it's a dumpster fire and it caused so many problems you know for us we're on the late end of the millennials 
Yeah. And now even we have Generation Z coming up. But for half of our generation, that was our formative education almost. Because we couldn't yeah. get it anywhere else. Uh-huh. And that's scary. You know, when a lot of that is where we kind of learned what lesbian culture was supposed to be like. Especially if you're in a Bible state. Or, yeah. you know, if you're in a flyover state. I mean, it's not like I could just go out any night and meet my fellow lesbians and bisexuals and hang out and talk the discourse. And if you're underage, where, you know, you might not know where to find them if you can't just go to a bar. And, like, I was in a very, like, I was raised in a liberal city, but I was not in a comfortable situation. I was definitely raised in, like, a very homophobic circle. So, like, I kind of felt that same way, too, as I was sort of alluding to in what I just said. But Yeah, so, I mean, it's, yeah. I remember you watched this in secret on your yep. computer and waited until everybody was out of the house or you huh. locked the door to your room. But that was all we had. It was that and... Like, the films out at the time, even Imagine Me and You, and I say I love Imagine Me and You, but I still admit, it's like, that's kind of really problematic. Predatory lesbian stereotype much? Except, you know what? Okay, but you know what? She was not as bad about it as, like, Marina was. Like, she actively kind of tried to resist the poll, but still. (laughs) I mean, I I can own out that that film has some problems. Yeah. Um... Even though I do love me some Lena Haiti. Uh, but I do, you know, I acknowledge. I mean, that that is a trope in there. And we had, like, I remember another big film that after Ellen talked about at the time when Le- The L Word was out was uh, Loving Annabelle. Do you remember that oh, one? <laughs> hey, Why did people talk adult, about that movie? <laughs> adult underage relationship. Oh, God. I mean, the, the stuff that was coming out was not exactly <laughs> healthy for our entire little micro generation. There were like other ones before that that were pretty good though, like um, like fucking a mall and but I'm a cheerleader. I mean, I don't want to like go into talking about a whole bunch of other films, but you know there were some other ones out there. But, I know. Like, but do you know how easy those were to get a hold of? Not at all easy. Yeah, you couldn't just like go on yes, and download I'm go it somewhere find now. A Swedish film in the yeah yeah. I mean, <laughs> I looked for so long even to find But I'm a Cheerleader, and I finally found it one day, and I, like, freaked out. And now, like, looking back at this, like, over ten years later, I'm like, that's fucking hilarious that that was our life. Because, like, you know, just ten years ago, you couldn't just look up lesbian content and find it to find yourself some validation and belonging. Ellen, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. Oh, and okay. your daily lesbian moment. That was a fun little blog. But Oh, and Lizzie the Lezzy. Do you know about Lizzie the Lezzy? No. <laughs> the cartoon. Oh, okay. Let's see the see, Lizzie's, I, did, I uh, had even less cartoon. than you did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... I'm not saying you have to try and incorporate everybody and be perfect. I, I don't believe that you... I'm a firm believer in not letting perfect be the enemy of good. And I think that's an entirely separate issue we have in our community. And that's, that's another episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. But when you are touting yourself as... The big queer women show and nobody else does this like we do. You have a little bit of a responsibility to check yourself on what you are kind of narratively supporting as, yes, this is okay or this is desirable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, like I, um, like I said, and as you were just kind of mentioning, like I feel like in some ways they actually did try 
too hard to incorporate things and messed it up, like with Max, but also, um, you know, I feel like they almost tried to, like, dip into too many storylines and did them poorly, they which is, you know, just in, bad storytelling, like, but also misrepresentative. Yeah, but the, the storylines they dipped in, they went in as far as a kiddie pool. That's as deep as yeah. they went. Exactly, so it was if almost like, why? If you take on, like, a serious topic, like, you can't half-ass it. Exactly. So you I know, would prefer if, that if they, they just stuck with their Max's, own community in that case. <laughs> if they did Max's transitioning story today, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. People would be furious. Hopefully yeah. if they did it today, they would actually do a better job of it, but who knows. Um, well, I, I read an article recently where Eileen Schnick had said that they... We don't yeah. know. They're doing a reboot. I don't know yeah. how that reboot's going to be. I don't know if they've had any indication that they've learned from the discourse that's advanced. I don't know what that's going to be, and I'm worried about what that's going to try and put out again. I feel a little bit better knowing that our discourse has evolved so much. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of people like, oh my god, it's a show just for us. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, no. That doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to be learning from it. Yeah, um, I, I recently saw an article actually, and I, apparently Eileen Chicken said that they uh, that they had sort of like learned from that whole thing, and that, that if there were any more trans storylines, they would definitely be more evolved because you know she she mentioned that basically, um, which is comforting. She's actually just going to be an EP on the show, not a showrunner, which I'm grateful for. Okay, um, that makes me feel marginally better. Yeah, but I'm still concerned about like how, you know, a lot of the other things are going to come off, because I don't think that they really found their biphobia or purity culture at all problematic. I doubt that they have reflected on that at all. And um, the thing is, even if they do sort of fix it, people are going to be going back and watching the old episodes to prep for it. And so unless they, like, specifically say, no, this was a problematic attitude, it's just putting that out there all over again, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay, so we're about out of time, and it is amazing how quickly an hour goes by when you're angry ranting. Um, when you have so much salt to throw. <laughs> yes. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts on this. I know, like, this this is an angrier episode of Ladies First than what we normally do. Um, it's a little bit more visceral because there's some very much uh, life-impacted moments from this show, or as a correlation from this show. Um, but, yeah, we want to hear what you guys think. Um, you know, did this affect you or did these attitudes, did you catch yourself later like, oh, I kind of internalized this, this was kind of not okay, or did you kind of run into anything when you were watching this, or, you know, have you not even seen this and you're listening to us talk about this and you're like, oh my god, how did this get made? So, you know, we want to hear from you guys, um, thanks again for Lisa to step in and rant about this with me. Oh, anytime. Um, we also, uh, would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe us on iTunes. Um, again, we do really want to hear your thoughts on this though. Uh, please feel free to leave us a comment. We are open to the discourse. Please be respectful. Um, and I will, like I said, I will be putting Lisa's article. I will link that so you can go read that as well because it's very good and you should read it. So thank you for tuning in. Um, Elizabeth should hopefully be feeling better and we'll be back uh, next time. And we won't be quite as angry, hopefully. Who knows? (laughs) All right. Thanks. Have a good evening. Bye.